I don't know if there's any greater message than the cross, amen? Um, everything we hold to as followers of Christ, everything we hold to uh, as believers is found in the cross. And uh, I was thinking as I was singing that song that maybe some of us, maybe some of you, I know I've been guilty of this, is that we will we'll receive Christ as our Savior and we'll find the forgiveness of sin and we will be, man, just excited about what God has for us. And over time, we can start to think that the idea of being led to the cross is really only for those that are new believers, those that don't know Christ, that the gospel is somehow uh, really the cross is a message for that one that needs to know Christ. But once we receive Christ, uh, the message of the cross becomes of less importance to us or less practicality to us. And, and I just, when I was sitting there thinking about it, I was thinking, Lord, I need to be led to the cross every single day. Uh, I need to be reminded every day of what you did for me. And it's not that we only speak and talk and live and understand the idea of the gospel and, and as far as we teach it from the pulpit or study it in the Word of God. But man, I know we go deeper and we study different things and doctrines and things like that. But man, I think if we don't have a desire to be led to the cross daily, uh, I think all the studying in the world is going to fall short. Uh, I think we have to be reminded of the cross. We have to be reminded of what Jesus Christ did for us and what he is doing for us. Um, I love that the Bible tells us that he didn't just die for us, but that he lives for us today. Amen. Uh, You are living and being sustained by the resurrected life of Jesus Christ. And so when I say, Lord, lead me to the cross, it's not that I want to stay at the cross. It's that I need to be reminded of what the cross did for me and what Jesus has done for me. And not just in this life, but in the life to come. And so I want to take just a moment again. If you are here and you don't know Christ, maybe you've been to church a lot, maybe you haven't. Man, man, it's such, it's the most important decision you will ever make in your life about where you will spend eternity. And I'm telling you, I know sometimes we get confused by things. We see Christians live in ways that aren't really Christ-like. We see churches do things that aren't really Christ-like, and we get confused, and we get hurt, and we think all these things. Do not allow that misrepresentation of Christ to make you think that that's how Jesus really is. Uh, we're human. We fail. We fall. We, we screw up all the time. We're just not perfect. But when a Christian fails you or a church fails you, uh, do not believe for a second that Jesus will fail you. Uh, he is the perfect one. He is the constant. He is the shepherd, and he's the good shepherd. And so we look to him. And so if you have been struggling with that maybe in your own life, maybe you've been hurt by the church or something along those lines, please don't let that make you think that Jesus is what you've seen represented by fallen man and fallen people in the, in the church. And so I just want to encourage you on that this morning. Um, I do want to say real quick, too, I meant to mention this, and I totally just forgot during announcements. Uh, we had a great time yesterday. Wesley Proctor uh, and Emily got married yesterday, and so we are so thankful for them. Um, if you notice, we're missing a few people this morning. Um, there was quite a bit of people from the church that were able to come out and make the trip. I know maybe you weren't able to. That's fine, but uh, some of them were there. Uh, some of them stayed over last night and are coming home this afternoon, and so uh, if you look around, you see somebody that isn't here that's normally here, let them know, or maybe you just be praying for them and let them know later you missed them, but um, it was such a great experience. I should get to celebrate with Wesley and Emily and all the family. Uh, it was just a great time together, and so uh, my wife and I, we decided we were just going to head home. Uh, they were like, you're not staying for the reception? And I was like, uh, let's see, 13-hour car ride Tuesday, 12-hour car ride Thursday, 3-hour car ride Friday, 3-hour car ride Saturday. Yeah, we're just going to go home. We're just going to go home and take a nap and just relax. Now, it was great, though. We got to hang out with those guys, and it was a lot of fun. And so if you have your Bible, open up to Nehemiah chapter 4. 
uh, Nehemiah chapter 4. And as you're turning there, I do want to thank you for being here today. Uh, I pray that if you're visiting this morning, if you feel comfortable to do so, there's some cards in front of you. You can fill those cards out and drop that by the Welcome Center when you leave today. We'd love to give you just a small gift, our way of saying thank you for being here uh, this morning. Nehemiah chapter 4, we're going to get to in just a moment. We are in the third week of our four-week series on uh, the good work. And we've been talking about not just the good work that God has for you, but the, God, the good work that God has for all of us, meaning the gospel of Jesus Christ to be shared with the world. And so maybe in sharing the gospel, maybe in that general a burden that we all bury as followers of Christ, you have a burden that God has given you. You have your burden that God has laid on your heart, something that specifically you are called to do by him. And that is a good work that God has commissioned you to do. Then my prayer for you is that you will realize it is a good work and you have been equipped to do that good work. And we've been talking through the last couple of weeks what that looks like. Uh, if you've missed any of the series so far, I know life is busy. You missed any of the series so far, uh, you can go online. You can find on our website, northgoodland.org, or our app, Northgoodland BC, in your app store. Uh, you can download that app or go on the website. You can find all the sermons there um, as far as what we've covered in the last couple of weeks. And so this morning, uh, I am excited to kind of walk through one of the things that I think really keeps us from staying focused and maintaining the good work. We talked last week about how to maintain the good work. Well, this morning I want to talk about one of the things that I think really throws us off and keeps us from accomplishing the good work that God has given us to do. Uh, we're going to be continuing the study by discovering how we can stand strong in the face of opposition. That we can stand strong in the face of opposition. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 1. But it came to pass that when Sam Ballot, and again, if you're you know, looking for children's names, there's one for you. <laughs> Sam Ballot, you can go with all kinds of things. Uh, you can call him San, there's a good short one for you. Um, Allet, there's one for you, that's a good short name. Anyway, when he had heard that we built the wall, and he was wroth, and took great indignation, and mocked the Jews, and he spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria, and said, what do these feeble Jews, will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they receive or revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burnt? Now Tobiah, the Amorite, was by him, and he said, even that which they build. Listen to this. This is like a, this is a slam back in this day. Okay, this is like just, this is like your mama smackdown kind of stuff here in verse 3. Doesn't sound like it's us, because we're like, what did he say? But that's just what he's doing. He's, he's mocking them. He's ridiculing them. He says, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. So it's like, hey, you know what? Let them build it. Because even if a fox went up and brushed up against it, it'd fall over. That's how poorly of a job they did. I, I want to go to the Lord in a word of prayer, and I want to ask the Lord to give us wisdom in that when we are endeavoring to do the good work he's called us to, and when operation or operation uh, opposition arises against us, how will we stand strong in the face of that opposition? Let's pray. Father, we believe and we know that you have called us to a great work. Lord, first and foremost, we know that you've called us to accomplish the gospel work. Now, Lord, if it was me that was planning this whole thing out to reach the world for Christ, I would not use human beings. We are, we are confused. We are fallen. We tend to make really foolish decisions. We get wrapped up in self. We get wrapped up in other things. Father, we're not always committed to you. We're not always faithful to you. And so, Lord, if it was me and if I was trying to develop a plan to reach the world for Christ, I really don't think I would choose human beings, at least not human beings like me. But, Father, you have chosen us. 
You have saved us and redeemed us and given us your Holy Spirit and your word. And you say that you've equipped us to do this work, that you're calling us to do the work of sharing the gospel with the world. And Lord, I know everyone in this room has maybe blown an opportunity, missed an opportunity, maybe not done what they should have done, said what they should have said. And Lord, I know that guilt can weigh on us, but I pray, Lord, that we would understand that we are forgiven of those things, Lord, when we repent of those things and trust in you as Savior, that we are forgiven of all sin. And so, Lord, as a follower of Christ, if we stumble and we fall, we just need to turn back to you and repent of that thing, Lord, not to get salvation back, but to restore the relationship with you, to reignite that passion that you've given us. And I pray, Lord, that we would understand that this morning, that even though we may have made mistakes, that we need to stay focused on the good work. Lord, ultimately, the greatest work is sharing the gospel with someone and making disciples. But Lord, maybe there's somebody here today that has a specific call or burden on their life. Maybe they feel a burden for a certain group of people or a certain situation or maybe children or or different things, Lord. I pray, Lord, that as they endeavor to do that good work, that you would remind them and keep them and that you would let them know that when opposition comes against them, that you don't run away, that you don't disappear, but you stand strong. And so therefore we can stand strong in the face of opposition. Speak now through your word and we ask in Jesus' name, amen. (coughs) Excuse me. Here in Nehemiah chapter 4, we read one of the most famous stories of someone being mocked and ridiculed. And again, it's this opposition coming against them. Uh, The truth is, Nehemiah knew he was called by God to accomplish this good work. Is that true? Uh, Up to this point, do we know that Nehemiah knows 100% sure that he's called by God to do this work? Yeah, absolutely. He knows it backwards and forwards. He's very confident in that. He knew he had the backing and support of the king. He knew the king's heart was for him and with him. The empowering of God and all the supplies he could need, he had available to him. He knew that God worked on the king's heart. The king provided all the resources that Nehemiah could need. He knew that he needed to be doing this good work, and he knew God had it for him to do. He shared his vision passionately. We shared this recently with the people. And what did the people do? When he shared his passion for this burden, that we need to do this thing, the people rallied around him. And they said, yeah, let's go do this thing. Let's get busy doing this thing. He had the support of God, the support of the king, the support of the people. I mean, everything was falling into place. Right? He shows up to the king. King, I'd have you to do this. Great. Yeah, go ahead. What else do you need? You need some letters. You need some lim- lumber. Here you go. You got it all you need. Then he goes to the people and he shares his vision with them. And that's a scary thing to do. It's a scary thing to share your passion with somebody that may not necessarily see it. They may not fall right in, in line with your burden and think, yeah, we need to do this thing. But man, the crowd was with him. They were like, yeah, let's do this thing. And if you're Nehemiah at this point, you're probably thinking, God, this is awesome. Man, God, you're doing all this and you're doing all this. It's just clicking. It's just clicking. And in our own lives, it can feel this way. That God is just opening doors and everything's just smooth sailing and we're just going great. And then someone says something. Opposition comes. There's a a mocking comment or a, a word of ridicule. When we begin to do the good work that we know God has called us to do, we have the misconception that we think everything should go good. Everything will go right. No issues, no problems. But if we're being honest, we know that in this life, when we choose to stand and act, there will be those that desire to oppose us. So what do we do when opposition comes? Well, can I encourage you with something? If you want to be countercultural, don't get angry in the face of opposition. But as Jesus did, let's respond with a greater focus and commitment to the work of the Father. Do you ever notice that Jesus never waited for us to get on board as he was doing the work of the Father? I've shared this before, but it's the greatest picture of this I can think of. When Jesus calls his disciples, 
He's walking and he says, hey, follow me. I love that invitation. Follow me. It's not, there's no wait. There's just, hey, it's just an open relationship. Just come follow me. And he says to them, follow me. And it says, and they followed. But you know what that tells me? That Jesus didn't stand there and wait for them to figure out whether or not they wanted to follow. He just continued to do what God called him to do. He continued down the road that he knew he needed to do. If some didn't follow, it didn't stop Jesus Christ from accomplishing the good work of the gospel. Jesus never went, oh, sorry, Father, I can't do this because they're not following me. I can't do this because one or two people have made fun of me. I can't do this because they're mocking me and they're ridiculing me and they don't believe in me and they don't trust me. I can't do this, God, because I don't have 100% backing and support by every single person that I come in contact with. I mean, think of the rich young ruler. He comes before Jesus and says, what do I got to do to be saved? And I'm paraphrasing here, but Jesus says, basically, what does the law say? I mean, what do the commandments say? You want to know how to come to find true salvation and true life for eternity? What does that look like? And what does the law say? And the guy says, I've done all that since I was a kid. That's a pretty daring thing to say as a fallen human being before the perfect son of God. Before the one that will actually fulfill all the law, it's pretty daring and pretty bold and pretty arrogant for a human being that has fallen in sin, broken, to say to that individual, I've done all of that. That's why I love when Jesus got into the New Testament and we start reading about how he described the law to us. These Pharisees at that time, they would say things like, well, I've never killed anyone. And Jesus says, that's fine. Do you have hatred in your heart towards somebody else? Because if you have hatred in your heart towards somebody else, that's like murder. Well, I've never committed adultery. I've never committed that act. I mean, I'm not that bad of a person. Okay, well, Jesus said, if you have lust in your heart for a man or a woman, that you've committed adultery with them. You see, Jesus was all about showing us the heart of the law, the spirit of the law. What is it? Why was that commandment even given? But this rich young ruler, he got to the point where he just, nope, I've checked all the boxes. I've done all this. I've done all this. And Jesus says, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and follow me. There it is again, that invitation. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and follow me. And, it says, and the Bible says the, the young man turned away and walked away sad. Do you know what Jesus did? He said, what does the law say? And the guy said, I've done all that. And then he took the one principle in the law and said, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And he turned it back on me and said, then sell everything you have. If you've done it and you believe it, then prove it. Live it. And the young man walked away saying, why? Because he loved his possessions. See, he wasn't keeping the law. He was violating the most important one, in my opinion. He had something else before God. And and to be honest, if we have something else before God, we'll violate more than just one commandment, right? If I put something before God, then I'm going to live in lust. I'm going to do what my heart and lust tells me to do. I'm not going to worry about what God says because I've already put something else in his place. And usually it's us we put in God's place. We put us in God's place and then we're easily just, nope, I want this. I want this. I want this. But do you notice that Jesus didn't stop and go, oh, I got to stop the whole mission. I got to stop the whole thing because this one guy said no. This one guy didn't follow me. No, Jesus responded to opposition or even distractions, and we'll get into more of that next week, with the same thing, focus and commitment to God's will. A greater focus and commitment to God's will. So how do we respond and stand strong in the face of opposition? Well, the first thing we have to understand is there's the reality of opposition. The reality of opposition. Basically what I'm saying here is don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when you are doing your work for God and you, by his grace, step out and begin to act and live this thing out and there's opposition that will come against you. There are those that will stand against you. There are those that mock you and ridicule you. Don't be surprised. We should never be shocked by that. We should understand it's a reality that when we continue to walk with Christ and do the good work he's called us to, there will be those that don't understand. 
There will be those that don't get why you're doing this. They don't get why you're sacrificing that or why you don't do this or why you don't do that. Mom and dad, I think today's day and age, I've said this before too, man, there is so much judgment and criticism of how parents raise their kids now. It's ridiculous. And I've said it before. You send your kids to public school, mm, you're a sinner. Well, you homeschool your kids, they're going to be weird and not have any social skills. You send your kids to Christian school, oh, the bubble approach, right? Keep them in a bubble. Keep them safe and protected. When did it become the community's job to tell an individual set of parents what way of education is the most important for them? And the Bible says, mom and dad, pray about that. Seek the Lord on that. And you decide as a mom and dad what you believe is the best road and avenue for your children's education. Because ultimately, and I just read an article on this, ultimately, as important as education is, hear me now, mom and dad, grandma, grandpa, as important as education is, education is not the most important thing your children will have to deal with in their life. You know what's most important in your kid's life? Their walk with Jesus Christ. So mom and dad, spend time investing in that area of their life more than education. We don't invest. I mean, I'm not saying we ignore education. We invest in that. But we better spend much more time investing in their spiritual well-being than their academic well-being. Not opposed to academics. Uh, And I'll be transparent. Our boys go to Emily City Public School. That's the decision that Sandra and I made. We prayed over that. We lamented over that. And I'm telling you, every year we still, we're like, okay, is this still the best thing we think for our kids? And we've come to that conclusion. And if you're here and you're like, well, I'm of a different mindset, fine. As long as whatever your educational path is, man, you're investing in them spiritually. Because ultimately, they're not going to stand before God one day and God say, tell me your GPA in high school. It's not going to come up, just so you know. But what is going to come up is, what did you do for me? So we got to be careful there that, man, sometimes, but in today's day day and age, there's so much judgment and criticism. Man, you have a baby. I I feel really bad for any parents in here that have a small child right now, like like an infant. Because, man, the type of formula you use, if you use formula, man, it's just crazy anymore. um, You feed your baby with a bottle? I can't believe you would do that to your child. You know that the only way to do that is... It's just silliness. And we, we do this all the time. We make a decision that we believe God is leading us to make, and then opposition comes. And I'm being kind of silly on some of this stuff because some of these things are minor things. But when this opposition comes, man, it is like a war. And we are challenged. Do I really want to stand and act and live this out? Do I really believe God is leading me in this way? Maybe as a family, you make a decision to do certain things or to set certain boundaries for your family. I mean, you're going to get opposition for that. You set boundaries around your children as mom and dad because you believe this is the best for them and you're using God's wisdom and God's word and you're, you're trying as best you can. By the way, you're going to blow it. Just be honest. You're never going to get it right all the time. And that's okay to realize, man, I, I look back and, and I was a little too strict here and I was a little too free here and I need to kind of, God, give me wisdom. No matter how much we plan and prepare and we think we know. That's why I'm so thankful for grace, amen? God is graciously giving us more and more. Look, here, I'll walk you out through this one. That was a big, you kind of blew it there. But let's just walk this out. And it's so funny. I was, uh, Friday night at the rehearsal, I was sitting there going through everything with the couple and everybody's on the stage, and there was something going on with the CD player. Uh, It wasn't playing CDs. Or the songs on the CD the right way, and it was skipping and all this stuff. And, of course, this is the music for the wedding, and you know what's going to happen. Any brides, brides in here? Any brides that have been a bride? Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you've married, okay? During the rehearsal, the CD that has all the music on it is not playing. What's going through your mind? They're freaking out, okay? And I could see in Emily's face, she was getting a little nervous, and she was looking at me, and she's, her eyes are getting bigger and bigger and bigger as the soundtrack's not working. And I just leaned over, and I said, listen, tomorrow, 
something will go wrong. And you're still going to be fine. As long as both of you show up tomorrow, it's a good day. Let's, we'll be fine, okay? But I told her, I said, something will go wrong tomorrow. And I, I mentioned that to Sandra uh, last night we were having dinner. And she said, you know, she said, it's totally true. I almost lit my veil on fire uh, from the unity candle. And I totally forgot this. But she remembers that, you know, like when you, you take the candles and you light the unity candle, right? Then you put it back. And what do you do? You blow out the individual candles, right? Well, she had her veil over her face and she went to blow out the candle, almost lighting it on fire. And she had, well, throw that out of the way and blow the candle out, okay? I don't remember this. Nobody probably remembers this, but it stands out in her mind, right? It's the same as when you're raising kids, when you live in this life. And then we go into the good work thinking we got to get it perfect all the time. This is why most of us will never start the good work. Because we think we got to have it. Now, do we make plans? Yeah, what did we learn? Nehemiah had four months to plan and prepare and get ready for this good work of going and rebuilding the walls. Nehemiah utilized that time to spend with God, to meditate on God's word, and to just get into God's presence and spend time with him and prepare and plan. So we plan and we prepare. But listen, don't go into this thinking you got to get it perfectly right all the time. That's an unfair, unrealistic expectation. No, you go into it saying, God, by your wisdom, this is what I believe is the best. And I'm going to start the good work knowing this. And I'm going to trust you with the rest. And if you want me to change, I'll change. If you want me to move, I'll move. I don't care. But I've got to go into this thinking and knowing that I'm just going to go off what I know right now. So many of us, we're afraid to make mistakes. And some of you, your greatest fear is the fear of failure. And so some of you will not begin the good work. You won't say a word. You won't step out because you don't know if you can do it perfectly right the whole time. And you're so afraid of failure, it'll keep you from starting the good work. And listen, God is not a God that is up in heaven going, oh, you blew it. It wastes everything you just did. No, God is a God that can take what we give to him, which is little, and he can use it and turn it into something that is glorious if we will just start, if we'll just be available. We should never be surprised by opposition when it comes into our lives because it comes from many different forms. I want to read a passage from Peter. Peter says this about when we face trials and opposition that come into our lives. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice. Man, we should never be surprised. So instead of being surprised by opposition, rejoice in opposition. Listen to what he says, but rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you, for the spirit of the glory and, the, and of God rests on you. On their part he is, there is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Busybody is like saying gossip. Yea, if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glory, glorify God on this behalf. You know what Peter's saying here? He's saying, listen, when opposition comes, when trials come, when fiery trials come, first thing we have to identify is why am I going through this suffering? Why am I going through this trial? Is it a consequence of my own doing? So did I commit a sin act and therefore this is the consequence of that sin? So therefore I can't really be surprised by it, right? I did this knowingly and I accept the consequences knowingly. So that's just in this life, we're forgiven of sin forever. But in this life, in this flesh, if I commit a sin act, God says, if you sow, you will reap. So if I commit a sin act in this life, if I commit murder and I kill someone, there's consequences to that. 
I may be, be forgiven and saved and spend eternity in heaven, but in this life, I will go through consequences. I may endure jail time or things like this or division in the family or division in the community. Those are just consequences of the sin. So Peter's saying, if you go through suffering in that sense, you really can't be surprised because you did this thing. You can't be like, oh God, why is this consequence coming when you're the one that did the act? But then he goes on to say the other side of that suffering and those trials is if you suffer in the sufferings of Christ. What that means is you're living for Christ. You're glorifying him. You're in his presence. You're abiding in him. You're seeking him. You're not perfect, but you're seeking him. And as you're doing this and walking this out, opposition comes. And they mock you and they ridicule you and they they judge you and they condemn you. Peter says you can't be surprised by that. And in fact, you should rejoice in that. Because as that's happening and you're not ashamed of that, guess what's going to happen? God will be glorified on this behalf. God will be glorified and you will be blessed. When we suffer for Christ, we must rejoice and not be surprised. Also, opposition quickly comes from within and without. Opposition comes from within and without. Opposition will come from outside sources such as other people or culture. In our culture today, to, to dare to live as a follower of Christ, we face so much opposition. We're seen as foolish and ignorant to believe that God's word is actually God's word that this book has any intrinsic spiritual power, that's foolishness. To believe that God actually spoke everything to existence, that he formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, you've got to be ignorant to believe something so foolish. Opposition comes from without. And if we have a choice to make when opposition comes, are we going to stand on this book or are we going to go backwards and say, well, I just, um, okay, maybe that isn't really what that means. Now, again, this doesn't mean we're a jerk. Doesn't mean that we get up in people's face and beat them up. But we just, you know what's amazing is we preach the gospel, we live the gospel, we stand on Christ, and we just allow him to work through us. And I'm telling you, as that happens in our culture today, when the culture does not see or identify that as truth, there will be opposition. But what do we do when opposition comes? When somebody doesn't get why we believe the Bible, why we believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, was buried and rose again. By the way, that's a pretty crazy thought to believe in our world today, that somebody resurrected from the grave. What are you talking about? Doesn't happen. I've never seen that happen. I've never seen somebody rise from the dead. That's foolishness. However, it's kind of funny that when you say, where was Jesus buried? We have to say, we think this is the, temp- or the tomb he was in. We can't know for sure, though, because there's no body there. That does nothing for you, huh? Okay, it does a lot for me. The tomb that Jesus, we think, was buried in is empty. And there's never been... And I don't care what they tell you. There's all these things on History Channel and all this. I've watched a lot of them. And it's so funny. You watch a two-hour show about how they discovered the body of Jesus. And you get to the end and it's like, well, we really don't know what we have here. We found some bones in a box and we think it might be Jesus, but we can't really be definitive. Okay. And then they'll say something else. I was watching one and they said, we believe this was a Jewish man from the first century. And his name was Jesus. Therefore, we think this was Jesus' body. But can you be definitive on that? Well, no. Why not? Well, because maybe it was in a different region or a different area or whatever. There's no proof. There's no evidence of it. So we have to say, well, where was he buried? We think it was right around here. We think it was like this. And so, again, these things, we're going to face opposition. And don't be surprised when you flip on History Channel or Discovery Channel or any other secular program that's going to try to debunk the Bible or disprove the Bible. It's not, we shouldn't be shocked by this and go, I can't believe. Really? That's what you have a problem believing is that people don't want to believe the Word of God? There was a point in your life where you didn't want to believe the word of God. So why are we so, once we come to know Christ, why are we then so angry at those who don't want to believe the Bible? Why do we just automatically assume they should live as Christians 
even though they don't know the Bible. You know, I'll tell you what, it's amazing to me in our culture today. As much as we see opposition, I see things that make me feel a little like maybe we need to step up our game. And I'll share this just real quick. Many of you probably saw this. Uh, A couple weeks ago, I think it was, I saw something by Ellen DeGeneres. Now, for the record, I do not agree with political, any of that. I mean, we're not on the same page in belief and lifestyle and all that. But she came out and said that she was photographed sitting next to George W. Bush. You guys see this on Facebook? And people were ripping her for it because she was sitting next to a conservative Republican guy. And I love what she said, that when she talks about being kind to everyone, she wasn't just meaning people that agree with you. She literally means kind to everyone. Now, I'll tell you this. Kind does not mean agreement. Kind does not mean I completely agree with you and I never would disagree with you and I never have a discussion about the disagreements. Kind just merely means that. We just show general respect and kindness to one another. And I think, isn't it amazing that somebody that isn't a follower of Christ reminded us of that this last couple of weeks? When we have Christian groups that are followers of Christ that are out protesting funerals, standing outside of places, shouting at people horrible things, calling people horrible names, I tell you what, we as Christians, we need to get back into the book and realize that, man, we can stand on truth, but we better speak truth in love. We better speak truth in love. And I think when you see this opposition coming, it's because we are trying to live in agreement with God's word, and we understand that our world today, outside of Christ, does not have that same knowledge, that same information. The Holy Spirit is not in them. But I pray that we would know that by God's grace, we can not just go and speak truth, but we can speak truth in love, and we can be more committed and focused on the good work that God has called us to do. When you understand this, that Nehemiah faced opposition without, he also faced, uh, and we will also face, opposition that comes from within. This happens when we doubt or question ourselves in the good work. We start to think that we're not good enough. Nehemiah faced external opposition. He was mocked, insulted, and by the way, this was done publicly. Nehemiah had two choices when the opposition came. He could have quit the good work and given up, just said, I'm going home, never mind. Or he could continue to pursue the good work and to not choose to focus on those that stood against him, but to rally with those that stood with him. I really believe that we need to remember remember that. When we are in a good work and there are those that are working with us and standing with us for the gospel or specific call, we get mocked and ridiculed, and we spend so much time trying to convince those that are mocking us that it's a good work and why we need to be doing this, instead of just rallying with those who are already with us. I'm not saying we don't have discussions, but sometimes we let those things pull us astray. And again, we'll get into more of that next week. And rather than just rallying with those who are already of the same vision and direction in the call. So how do we deal with opposition? I want to give you three quick things. Three quick things. And you know when a, a Baptist preacher says three quick things, you know what that means, Right? Absolutely nothing. It means nothing. <laughs> it's like when a pastor says, in closing, doesn't mean anything. It's just words. How do we deal with opposition when it comes against us? The first thing we have to understand is that the external opposition will only be as loud. I know this is a long statement, but I want to give you all of it. The external opposition will only be as loud as my internal insecurities allow them to be. The external opposition will only be as loud as my internal insecurities allow them to be. So what do I mean by this? When I say insecurities, I'm not talking about understanding our weakness. We are all weak in the flesh. We all, as Paul says, are weak before God. But we trust in Christ in our weakness and allow him to make us strong. So what do I mean by insecurities? It will never fail that when you are starting or maintaining a good work, the external opposition will agree with your internal insecurities. 
When you are doing a good work, whether it's the general work of the gospel, preaching and teaching, leading people to Christ, or your specific burden that God has called you to do, and there's external opposition, it will 100% agree with your internal insecurities. People might say things like, well, I just don't think you're qualified because I don't think you're good enough for that. And that will reaffirm or be reaffirmed in your internal insecurities, which are already telling you you're not good enough. And now it feels like there's these two juggernauts warring against you. These two things that you just cannot get out from underneath. And so how do I stand against this? How do I deal with this? Well, I realize my insecurities are not real. They're perceptions that in Christ... I can do exactly what God has called me to do because he has given me the strength to do that and it has nothing to do with me or my talent or ability. It has everything to do with him and his grace and his equipping. And we read that the first week. But when people mock and ridicule you as you stand for the gospel of Christ, don't let their voices be amplified by entertaining them internally. Don't let the voices of those who mock and ridicule you for standing for Christ be amplified by the voices internally. I truly believe, again, that we spend too much time trying to convince those that mock the work of God to get on board than encouraging and walking with those that are doing the good work. We all have insecurities that will haunt us. We all have those insecurities that remind us of our weakness, that maybe we think we're not good enough. But when those insecurities rise up, we remind ourselves to listen to the voice of truth, to the word of God, and we realize that, yeah, I have insecurities. I'm not perfect. I have weaknesses. But the Bible says that he has equipped me and made me ready for all good work in Jesus Christ. And so we remind ourselves of that. Secondly, the greater the opposition, the the greater the opportunity for our God to fight for us. I like that. The greater the opposition, the greater the opportunity for our God to fight for us. So let me ask you a question. How does God fight for you? How does God hold you up in light of great opposition? I believe truly he fights for us through prayer as we remember God is truly most powerful. Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 14. Nehemiah 4.14 says this, Don't be afraid of them. And don't be afraid of them. He says this, Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. Nehemiah's encouragement to the people as there is more and more ridicule and mocking coming in, he says, Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. I think the King James uses the word terrible. Uh, terrible does not mean like scary, okay? Terrible means awesome in power. Now, that might cause a fear in us when we realize how powerful he is, but don't think terrible like terrible as far as an evildoer, someone who does evil acts. That's not what that word means. It's more this displaying of his majesty, his power, his awesomeness. And so Nehemiah's remind, or reminder to the people is remember the Lord. When great opposition comes, remember that it is God who fights for us, not we who fight for ourselves. The burden we carry should drive us to our knees in prayer. Again, I know I've mentioned prayer every single week, but it is vital. It does not stop when we start the good work. It is intensified when we are doing the good work. Now, I want to look at a prayer of Nehemiah that is one that is both shocking, interesting, and I I hope we can kind of walk this out. (coughs) Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 4. As all of this that we read, verses 1 through 3, all these mockings and ridicules and the Yo Mama Smackdown talk about the fox, it's just crazy. But look what Nehemiah says. Verse 4. Hear, O our God, isn't that amazing? How many of us, when we're getting ridiculed and mocked, our first response would be to pray? i got to be honest with you, it's not always my first response. Social media, instant communication, sometimes is a great blessing. 
And sometimes it's a great curse. Because some of us get ripped on Facebook, we get mocked or ridiculed on some social media platform, and our first reaction is not to pray, but to just start typing. And can I give you a little wisdom? If you type first and pray second, you're going to be praying for forgiveness of what you just typed. Just telling you. Man, there's so many times I'll start typing something that I just can't tell him what's up. And it's that loving, gracious voice of God that says, do you think this is wise? And I've always said it, and it's been the last couple of years God has been hitting me with this. It's not always a matter of right and wrong. Because the right thing to say in the wrong way at the wrong time becomes the wrong thing to say. So it's not always right and wrong. It's wise and unwise. Guys, I might be saying the very right thing. This is right, but I'm right. By the way, husband and wife, you could be right. But man, what's it going to cost to make sure that the other person knows you're right? Is it wise to say it? Is it necessary to say it? And so here, Nehemiah's response is he prays. He doesn't just respond and lash out. He goes to the one that can do something about it. But let's look at this prayer because this prayer causes some people some issue. And I want to kind of walk out why that might be. Hear, O God, or hear, O our God, for we are despised and turn their reproach upon their own head. Give them for a prey in the land of captivity and cover not their iniquity and let not their sin be blotted out from, from before thee, for they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. Man, Nehemiah's cry is what? I want you, God, I want you to do something about this. And here's what I'm asking you to do. Don't forgive them of their sin and put them in captivity. That's crazy. Like, I've wanted to pray that before. I haven't. But I've wanted to pray, like, God, could you just take care of these guys? Just blot. Don't even, don't even forgive their sin. Now, let's walk this out a little bit. This does not mean that God could not choose to forgive them. Nehemiah is not putting himself in the place of God. Just because we pray something, does God do what we say? Why is that? Because he's not an on-demand God, right? There is no such thing as on-demand God. Why was Nehemiah praying this? Some people think, well, he was mad because they were coming against him. No. If you look at the prayer, that's not why he's mad. That's not why he's upset. Why is he upset? Because they're standing against God. Isn't that what he said in the prayer? Let's look at it again. He says here in verse 5, And cover not their iniquity, and let not their sin be blotted out from before thee, for they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. Why is he making it so personal to God? Why is he saying that because they're standing against the good work that they're doing, that they're standing against God's work? Because Nehemiah understood this wasn't really Nehemiah's work. This wasn't really Nehemiah the one doing this. This was God's work. Because God is the one that gave him favor with the king. God is the one that brought Nehemiah to this place. God is the one that worked in the hearts of the people. God is the one that worked in all these situations to allow them the resources they need. It was God's work. And you might say, well, what in the world, man? What does God do with this? I believe God hears Nehemiah's heart. I believe this is just like we read in so many times in Psalm and other individuals in the word of God that just say, God, we don't get how you can forgive this person. So because they're standing against you, would you deal with them? I also love that Nehemiah isn't taking it in his own hands and trying to deal with these guys. He's letting God deal with it. He's basically saying, God, they've earned this. They've, they've gained this wage, right? They've sold these things. So all I'm asking, God, is you'll allow them to reap what they've, what they've sowed. But obviously we know, could God choose to forgive them if he wanted to, if they repented? Of course he could. God, Nehemiah is not taking the place of God. He is merely saying, God, you need to deal with this. God, you need to handle these guys. And here's what I think is the best thing to do. Here's what I think is the wisest thing to do. I don't know how you can forgive these guys. 
It's interesting, too, when he connects it to God's word. Remember what Jesus said when he showed up on the road to Damascus to the Apostle Paul? Paul was persecuting the church, persecuting individuals, and Jesus said, you're persecuting me. He made it personal. That's all that Nehemiah is doing. God, they're coming against you. So I believe this is just Nehemiah sharing his heart with God, asking God to do what he believes is best. I don't think this is Nehemiah necessarily trying to take the place of God. But I love the principle here that we can read that Nehemiah went to God first and he cried out to him and he asked God to intervene. Thirdly, how do we stand in the face of opposition? Well, the first thing we need to, or another thing we need to understand as we continue down this list of three things is if I'm not ready to face opposition for my obedience to God, I'm not ready to be used by God. If I'm not ready to face opposition, then I might not be ready to be used by God. What do we mean by this? And while that sounds harsh, I believe that this is true. When we choose to stand for the gospel and the good work of seeing others come to Christ, we must be ready to face opposition. If I allow my fear of opposition to keep me from following, following in obedience to God, then I will miss out on the fullness of the abundant life in Christ. If I'm not ready to face opposition, I may not be ready to be used. As a follower of Christ, I believe that all of us desire to share our faith and to see others come to know Christ. I believe that we all desire to see others grow in the knowledge of Christ. But so many of us are hindered by the fear of what others may say or do against us as we endeavor to commit this good work. I want to encourage you with the words of Paul as he shares with the church in Rome and how he stayed focused on obedience to the good work that God called him to do. Paul says this in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, one of the most popular verses in the book of Romans. He says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. What do we mean here? It's not just two groups of people, the Jews and the Greeks. It's the Jews and the Gentiles, any non-Jews that would come to know Christ. When you and I remind ourselves that the power of life and eternal change rests in the gospel, not in me, not in you, not in the music, not in the atmosphere, but it's in the gospel and the gospel alone. We will be strengthened to be ready to face the opposition we may face while walking in obedience and desiring to be used by God. Here's the key. If you want to be used by God and you believe he's calling you, whether in the general call of just sharing the gospel or while doing that, there's a specific call and you step out and you do that, we got to be ready to face opposition because if we want to be used and we want God to use us to make a difference in this world, we got to be ready to face opposition no matter what it is because it will happen. And it's okay because when it comes, we're not surprised, we're prepared, we're ready, and we allow God to be glorified in and through that opposition. I want to give you a couple questions in closing just to think about to yourself this morning. When you face opposition in this world for standing for Christ, how do you usually respond? When you face opposition in this world for standing for Christ, how do you and I usually respond? How can you prepare yourself for the opposition you will face as you pursue God's work? How can you prepare yourself? And I want to encourage you and challenge you again. Let's be excited when opposition comes into our life when we're walking with Christ because it means that we are doing what he's called us to do and it means that he is going to be glorified in and through that work. So how do you usually respond when opposition comes? Do you pray? Do you seek him first or you just start responding? Just start talking? Do you pray and seek him and put it in his hands? And how do you prepare yourself 
so that when opposition comes, you are ready to face it for God's glory. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads right there where you are. As you bow there in prayer, I want to encourage you and remind you that God's love and his grace is for you. That we as followers of Christ, we're not going to get it perfect, but we need to endeavor and strive to live in a way that magnifies him, that magnifies his grace, that magnifies his love. That we would live in a way that would encourage others to come to know Christ and what it means to be forgiven of sin. Now, as you're praying there where you are, I know it's difficult to walk that balance because we're going to come in contact with people that maybe think differently than we do about something or, or see something differently. And we need to, by God's grace, speak truth into their lives. And I pray that we would not shy away from speaking truth, but I pray that we'd speak truth in love with wisdom, that we would, by God's grace, ask for wisdom and how to communicate what it is that we're trying to say. Not that we ignore truth, not that we um, ignore reality as far as sin and what's going on there. And I know that in our culture today, there is a giant emphasis on that to tolerate another person's beliefs or lifestyle or mindset means that we can't disagree. And I don't know where that came from, but I, I don't see that. I think that I can totally respect another person who's of a different political party or whatever, different mindset, different belief system, different background. I can still respect that person and, and be kind to that person and, and even serve that person and, and show love to them and, and yet still disagree with maybe what they believe about God or what they believe about the Word of God or even Jesus Christ. And so I know that that's difficult in our individual lives at times, but I pray that we would have wisdom. And as you're praying there, I pray that you would have wisdom and ask God for wisdom and how to walk that out, that we as followers of Christ would stand true to the gospel and stand true to the Word not desiring to water it down or change it, but then in light of even that, that we would also be willing to walk in this world in a way that would draw people to Christ. Yes, there's going to be opposition. We're going to face from within and from without, but we don't back down. We don't give up. We merely get more focused and more committed on the will of the Father to see more and more people come to know Christ for his glory. Father, we pray that in all these things you give us great wisdom. I know we covered a lot of ground this morning. I know that it applies to different people's lives in so many different ways. I know that you're working in hearts and minds right now in ways that I can't even express. And maybe there's somebody here this morning, Lord, that's dealing with something that I didn't even touch on. I pray that they would know that even though it's something different they're battling with, that you are, you are for them, you want them to know you. And I pray that they would just come into your presence and just desire you, and that you would fill them, and that you would speak into their lives through your word. Father, I pray that you would lead God and direct in all these things as we give you all the praise and all the glory because we gather for you and you alone. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning as we have a time of invitation?